Genesis Church, uh, on behalf of the hungry, what a, what a great drive we had, and I know so many of you were involved in that, and uh, we just want to say as a staff, thank you for being generous. My name is Ben Krause, I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville uh, campus, and uh, I wonder how many of you are familiar with the word of the year? Have any of you ever seen that? Do any of you follow the word of the year? Uh, some of you have heard of that, about it before. Every year, uh, various groups decide which new words uh, were most influential on culture, and so then from those words, they pick a word of the year. I want to share a few of the words that have been chosen in the past. Uh, in 1992, it was this word. It was the word not. Do any of you remember that? Uh, it essentially meant just kidding. Uh, why couldn't we have just said just kidding? I don't know. But uh, that was 1992, not. In 2006, we got this word, Plutoed. And uh, this meant to be demoted or devalued as uh, happened to the former planet Pluto. So uh, if you lost your job or your girlfriend broke up with you, you got Plutoed. Uh, in 2009, the word of the year was tweet, which most of you know is a short message uh, sent via the messaging service uh, Twitter, or as my wife once called it, the tweeter. And uh, in 2009, in the most unnecessary words category was this one. Uh, nope, not that one. Can we go back one? Do we have sea kittens? Maybe we don't have sea kittens. Well, sea kittens was supposed to be next. Sea kittens was PETA's attempt at rebranding fish to make them more adorable and less edible. So <laughs> let me use that one in a sentence for you. Uh, would you like your sea kittens grilled or fried? Or uh, maybe would you like some hush puppies with your sea kittens? Uh, but, but here's the one that I, I really want us to focus on this morning. In 2013, this was the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. It was this word, selfie. And just in case you've been living in a cave, a selfie is a picture taken of one's self. And Judy Miller, who's running our computer this morning, confessed to me that she has never been in a selfie before. And so I think it's fitting. I think we ought to take a selfie this morning, don't you? And uh, we even now have the <laughs> selfie stick to assist us in this. This isn't my selfie stick, but it is a borrowed one. So let's, let's do this real quick, Genesis Church. I think we all need to be in a selfie. We need to do this for Judy Miller. And I'm not great with technology. Let's see. So I need everybody to... Elijah, your hair looks kind of funny. Could you? All right, that's better. Okay, so here we go. We're going to take a quick selfie here. And we got... Nope. Timer. Go to... Does anybody know how to work these? Uh, nope, not video. What is going on? Uh, oh my goodness. Okay, there we go. Ready? Everybody smile and boom, we got it. All right, give yourselves a hand. Y'all look great in the selfie. So I, I read one time that, uh, that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon and there were a total of five pictures of him uh, taken of him there but you and I will go into the bathroom and take 50 selfies and this is what is wrong with America in fact to illustrate how selfie obsessed we've become I found this article uh, that reported that black cats are now being abandoned by their owners because they don't show up very well in selfies. You can't make this stuff up. Owners are just dumping their black cats so they can take better selfies. I, I just need to say, I'm not necessarily a huge cat lover, but I am a little bit embarrassed for humanity that it's come to this. 
Now, selfies aren't inherently bad. There is certainly a time and a place to take a picture of yourself and to make a memory with yourself, I guess. But don't you think it might say something about our self-centeredness when the word of the year is selfie? And here's the thing. I think the selfie is really a reflection of a greater issue facing our culture. And it's this deeply held belief that my purpose and my reason for existing is ultimately only about myself. We all feel this pull to live lives focused on satisfying ourselves, satisfying my desires and whatever makes me happy. But this search for purpose by satisfying self is not working. I recently read an article where researchers reported that people putting the greatest emphasis on being happy reported 50% less frequent positive emotions, 35% less satisfaction about their life, and 75% more depressive symptoms than people who had their priorities elsewhere. We are a culture obsessed with making ourselves happy, but when we make the purpose of our lives our own personal happiness, it ironically leaves us less happy. Well, we're continuing today in our series, Only Love, and what I want you to see today is that only love can give you purpose. Only love can move us beyond our own selfish desires to find a purpose that is more meaningful, more life-giving, and more compelling than trying to achieve happiness for ourselves. If you brought your Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. Uh, Luke chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you, and this is going to be on page 732. If you don't own a Bible, I'd like for you to keep one of those Bibles that's around you. Take it home and, uh, and read it. We're going to take a look this morning, though, at a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up uh, around church or if you went to VBS, you know a song about this guy, and you know that Zacchaeus was a what? And a what? And a wee little man was he. But if that's all that you know about Zacchaeus, well, let me just tell you, there's a whole lot more to the story. Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew is actually this word, Zaka which means pure or just or rightly related to God. But Zacchaeus' life didn't reflect that meaning. Zacchaeus wasn't known for justice or purity. Actually, quite the opposite. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And not only that, he was the chief of the tax collectors. So what does that mean? Well, to give you a little bit of background... The Roman Empire had conquered this area known as Palestine, and they had divided that land into three different regions. And in each one of those regions, there would have been a chief tax collector. Now, this would have been a Jewish man who would have often bribed the Roman government uh, for the right to hold this position. And, and uh, the Roman government would assess each of these three regions, and they would figure out how much each region owed in the taxes, and then the tax collectors would go and they would collect that amount. But it didn't stop there, because as the tax collector, you were allowed to tax the people above and beyond what was required by the Roman government, and this was how you were paid for your services. So the tax collectors became wealthy by demanding large payments from their own Jewish brothers and sisters to pad their own pockets. And among the Jewish people, these tax collectors were despised. 
Not only were they traitors working for the occupying Roman government, but they used their position to cheat and to threaten and to blackmail their own people. And Zacchaeus, being the chief tax collector, not only personally cheated people, but he oversaw other tax collectors who were cheating people. So do you get a feel for the kind of purpose that Zacchaeus had in his life? It was really all about himself. It was about his own purpose of wealth and happiness. But something happened to Zacchaeus. Luke 19, starting in verse 1. Let's read it. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now let's pause right there. So Jesus is passing through Jericho. And where was he going? Well, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And this event takes, uh, takes place toward the end of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, he's walking to Jerusalem for the final Passover, where he would be sacrificed as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the people. And Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through, and he wants to see him. He's likely heard stories about Jesus and about the miracles that he's been performing. He's likely heard Jesus' message that the kingdom of God is near. But you have to wonder, why was Zacchaeus so anxious to see Jesus? I mean, was the selfie life maybe catching up with him? Was he starting to wonder if there could be something more uh, to this life? Had, had his drive for wealth left him feeling lonely and isolated? Was he second-guessing the price that he had paid for the life that he was living? We don't really know what he was thinking, but we do know what he did. He's vertically challenged. He can't see over the crowd. So he climbs a tree to get a better view. And here's one artist's rendering of what happened that day. You see Zacchaeus up in the tree and uh, Jesus on the ground down looking up at him. And we read in verse 5 that Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, Jesus knows Zacchaeus by name, but in verse 3, we were told that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, so we can assume that the two have never met before. But don't you wonder, how did Jesus know his name? Did, did the Father reveal his name to Jesus? Was Jesus maybe even specifically looking for Zacchaeus as he traveled down this route? Uh, we know that Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and we know that Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was a former tax collector. So Matthew certainly uh, would have been familiar, if not even friends, with Zacchaeus. Did Matthew tell Jesus about Zacchaeus? We don't really know. But regardless, Jesus takes time to stop and to notice Zacchaeus. And he calls him down and he says, let's go to your house. And this is really amazing to me. Because think about all that Jesus must have been going through as he processed the days ahead of him, as he thought about the things that he would have to endure, knowing that he's about to be handed over to evil men who would do evil things to him, knowing the torture that he was about to endure, knowing that it would end with his own body nailed to a cross. The thought of what was ahead for Jesus would have been overwhelming for any of us. But Jesus doesn't focus on himself. His eyes are always up. He is always obedient to the Father, 
always loving the people around him. And so Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And that might sound rude or, or kind of forward to you and me, but in Jesus' day, going to someone's house was a huge sign of respect. And in this simple act, Jesus is communicating something to Zacchaeus. He's saying, Zacchaeus, everyone else might hate you. Everyone else might look at you and just see a traitor and a piece of trash. But that's not what I see. No, Zacchaeus, when I look at you, I I see a man who's been living life for himself. And I see a man who's trying to find purpose in, in places where purpose can't be found. But I also see a man who I created for something much greater. And I love you, Zacchaeus. And so Jesus goes to his house, and we have to wonder, you know, what did they talk about? What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus? What did he do while he was there? We don't know. Luke doesn't give us any details of that conversation, but we do know this. It changed everything for Zacchaeus. The late poet uh, Maya Angelou once said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I believe that's exactly what happened for Zacchaeus. He felt the love of Jesus, and it changed his life. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stands up, and he says, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Now this is really interesting. The Jews, they had a law about this. And if, if it was found that someone had cheated another person out of money, then the guilty party would have to return what was taken plus 20%. So if you cheat someone out of 100 bucks and you're found out, you have to give them that 100 bucks back and then plus 20 more bucks. You give them 120 bucks back. That was the law. But Zacchaeus is motivated by something bigger than the law. And so he declares, I'm going to give back four times what I owe. Not 20%, 400%. Not 120 bucks, 400 bucks. This coming from a man who had made a living out of stealing from people, but something in his heart has now changed. Zacchaeus started this day living a selfie kind of life, but he encounters the love of Jesus and he comes out with a heart overflowing with generosity and a new purpose in life. Zaka finally begins to live into his name, just, pure, rightly related to God. It was who he was meant to be. And Jesus responds in verse 9, and he says this. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And I want to make it very clear that salvation did not come to Zacchaeus' house because of this generous declaration that he made as if he had just earned his salvation with these words. But rather, the declaration that Zacchaeus made was the evidence that salvation had come to his house. When Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of your life, there should be some evidence. Some things should change. I heard it said this way once, if you were ever put on trial for your faith, if you were put on file for following Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What would your friends say? What would your spouse say? Are you thinking like Jesus? Do you act like Jesus? Do your words sound like Jesus? Is there evidence that salvation has come to your house? I want to just very quickly show you three things that the love of Christ changes, or at least that it should change uh, when salvation comes to our house. The first is this. 
you are given a selfless mission. You're given a selfless mission. Christ's love changes our purpose. It changes our mission in life. When Jesus Christ comes in and salvation comes to you, you are given a new mission, and that is to love the way that Jesus loved and to tell others the good news of what he has done for you. Jesus' final instructions for us are recorded in Matthew 28. Just before he ascended into heaven to be with the Father, he said this. He said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the new life mission for all who are in Christ. Your purpose, your mission is to go and make disciples, to use your time and your resources and your energy, telling others about Jesus and what he has done for you and teaching them to obey his words. I have to believe that this is what Zacchaeus spent the rest of his life doing. We don't know that for certain, Uh, In fact, Zacchaeus is never mentioned again in the scriptures, but I think he was changed in such a way that his whole life was now focused on Christ. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he commits before Jesus to go and to do it. You know, I talk with so many people who are just uh, so confused about this. They're confused about what they are supposed to do with their lives. I'm talking about Christian people. Should I stay here or move there? Should I take this job or take that job? Should I marry this one or should I marry that one? Should I do this or should I do that? And most of the time, I don't have a great answer for those kinds of questions. But I do know this. I do know God's will for your life and for mine. It's this. It's 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that you would be sanctified. That is, that you yourself would become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's Matthew 28, 18, that you would go and make disciples. And if you are not doing those two things, becoming more like Christ yourself and telling others about Christ and helping them to become more like him, then all the other questions about your life really are meaningless because they are secondary to this primary purpose that Christ has given us. Remember, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those other things. All these other questions that we have, that'll get taken care of too. But what are you seeking first? Jesus' love transforms us from selfish to selfless, and it gives us a selfless mission. No longer are we pouring all of our time and all of our resources and all of our energy into a selfish, you know, into selfish pleasures. Why? Why would we live that way? Well, because love also gives us a selfless motive. It gives us a selfless motive. John tells us that since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is our motive for selfless living. Since God so loved us. We can't keep this to ourselves. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are motivated by the love of God. The God who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He was man as God intended man to be. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And he died a death that he did not deserve so that you and I could be free from the hell that was most certainly before us. No longer are we motivated by selfish desires because God did not spare even his only son. We are now motivated by his love for us. But how do we do this? What what does this even look like? Well, in his great love for us, God also gave us a selfless model, 
a selfless model. Jesus Christ modeled for us what it means to live with a selfless mission and a selfless motive. And listen, if anyone ever had the right to live selfishly, it was Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. And yet Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that even though, uh, even though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in his life and in his death, Jesus modeled for us what it means to live selflessly. Listen, if you are newer to faith and you feel like you just don't know enough about Jesus to share him with the people around you, I want to encourage you to be a part of this following Jesus group that Kevin just talked about a minute ago. We're going to spend the next six Sundays looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're going to be studying the model that Jesus gave us. And that group is going to meet right here at the Noblesville campus uh, during second service. And if you just don't know where to start, let me recommend that you start here. You know, I I keep thinking back to to Jesus on that road. Uh, You know, he's going through Jericho. He's getting ready to travel to Jerusalem. And it It really just doesn't make any sense to me that he stopped and he noticed Zacchaeus that day. Looking back, no one would have blamed him for being completely focused on the journey ahead. But even on this road, leading toward his torture and his death, Jesus was selfless. And he interacted with this man in the tree. And it changed everything for Zacchaeus. And I guess I'm just wondering this morning, has Jesus' love changed everything for you? Has his love changed your purpose? I mean in a crazy way. I mean in a, I used to steal from people for a living and now I'm just giving money away kind of a way. Has his love had that kind of an impact on your life? I want to share with you a story that reminds me that Christ's love is still radically changing people today. It's a story about a normal person like you and me. And his name is Pastor Jong Rock Lee and he serves a church in Seoul, South Korea. Pastor Lee grew up, as we all do, uh, searching for purpose, and he tried to find it in work. He tried to find it in his own abilities. He even tried to find it in alcohol, but all of those things left him wanting. But then he met Jesus, and everything changed. He was given a new purpose in life, and after becoming a Christian, Pastor Lee's eyes were open to a very real problem in his country He saw a large number of people who could not take care of their infant children. And so they were just abandoning these babies on the street to die. And so Pastor Lee did something about it. He created a baby box as a way to save unwanted babies. And instead of abandoning these precious children, people could come and they could safely leave them in Pastor Lee's box. And he and his church would take care of them. There's been a whole movie created about Pastor Lee and about his baby box, and I want to show you uh, the trailer for that movie this morning. Check this out. The baby box is South Korea's first and only box to collect abandoned infants. Hundreds of unwanted babies are abandoned on the streets of Seoul, South Korea every year. Tragic loss of life moved the pastor said to set up a way for saving unwanted babies. Pastor 
어떤 아이들은 목사님 이 아이하고 죽으려고 약탈했습니다. 예, 그러지 마라. 그러면 너도 오고 애기도 와라. 길이 엄마의 엄마의 끈입니다. 제 아들을 부탁드립니다. 찾지 말아 주십시오. 죄송합니다. 정말로 죄송합니다. 이 세상에 필요 없는 존재들이 아니고 하나님이 쓰시고자 했다 이렇게 보였었어요. 이게 이제 예, 가정에 20명이나 한그 아이들이 좁은 공간에서 많이 살고 있으니까 사람 공동체가 다른 것은 아버지 어머니가 아, 있기 때문이죠. 또 하지 않는 일 그리고 버려질 수 있고 또는 나라에서 하지 않고 있는 이런 일들을 하시는 Even if there's just one person that really cares about children, it makes such a difference. They're just human beings, just like anyone else. They have the right to live. This problem is not just a Korean problem. It's a problem that kids are being abandoned around the But these children, they're helpless, they're voiceless. Who's going to speak for them? 이 아이를 보내면서 다시 한번 내가 헌신을 했어요. 하나님, 이 아이들을 위해서 죽겠습니다. 믿음, 소망, 사랑 중에 시가, 그, 그 중에 제일은 사랑이라고 했어요. Isn't that incredible? What God can do with one person who's willing to just let go of their selfless pursuit and to say, God, or their selfish pursuit, and say, God, I'm going to live selflessly. I'm going to live for you. It's, it's such a great reminder. And I hope that you can see through the, past, through the story of Zacchaeus and the story of Pastor Lee that God calls ordinary people, ordinary people, into his extraordinary mission all the time. He calls people out of the pursuit of self and into selfless living for the sake of Christ. You know, I want to show you that picture that we took earlier. Did we get it back there? There. <laughs> It wouldn't have been a selfie if we didn't have my bald head in it. <laughs> and it's a little bit blurry back there, but uh, you know what I see? I don't see, a, I don't see a selfie. I see a group of people who could become a movement for the kingdom of God, a movement of selfless people on a selfless mission motivated by God's love. People who believe that it's not just about satisfying ourselves, but it's about sharing Christ's love with everyone we come in contact with. And I guess I wonder this morning, will you join us on that mission? Are you willing to lay it down and to join us on that mission? I want to pray for you this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. Father, we, uh, we are motivated by that love, not to just keep it to ourselves, Father, but to move forward in the mission that you've called us to, of sharing your love with others, of loving the way that Christ loved, of making disciples, Father, of seeing your kingdom move forward. 
Lord, you've given us the perfect model in your son, Jesus Christ. You've given us your word as a compass, and it's our, our direction, Father. Father, find us faithful to this. Find us obedient to this. God, radically change our hearts the way that, that Zacchaeus was radically changed, and find us obedient to living life for you from this day forward. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.